0: Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio-Technica, Loughton Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 143.
1: Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working
0: class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. My guest today is uh, Anthony Rocky Gallo. I call him Rocky. I'm going to call him Rocky. Anyway, Anthony Rocky Gallo is here, a producer and recording engineer based in New York. Uh, he's worked with John Legend, Carrie Underwood, Mo Def, Carly Simon, John Bon Jovi, Perry Farrell. <gasps> Take a breath. Warren Haynes, Travis Barker, Robert Randolph, KRS-One, just to name a few. Yeah. There's a few people in there. He's also uh, the former chief engineer at the Cutting Room Studios, and he's worked very closely with producers Steve Lillywhite, Eddie Kramer, Will I Am. Yeah, a little bit of experience there, wouldn't you say? Since all that's taken place, he's actually opened up Virtue and Vice Studios. That's located in Brooklyn, New York, that apparently is going to feature a Neve 8024. At least it says coming soon. And he's put together a variety of great instruments and high-end analog equipment into one place with rates that apparently indie artists can afford. And uh, when he's not freelancing at other studios, uh, you know, virtue and vice is his, that's his primary home. So there it is. Rocky Gallo coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Six days and counting, my friends, until I leave for France for Mix With The Masters with Chad Blake. And I cannot tell you how excited I am. Thoroughly excited. Yeah, I'm getting packed up. I've got, uh, I've got to thank my buddy, uh, Chris Salim, uh, former guest and, uh, friend Chris Salim. Uh, he actually helped me get online and navigate the French, uh, train schedule, even though, you know, in Chrome, uh, that actually, you know, Google Chrome actually will translate it for you, but not every aspect of the website was translated. So I called Chris and said, Hey man, can I screen share with you and help, help me figure this out? Come on. So he did. He, uh, brought his, uh, French, um, French-Canadian expertise into the picture, and we uh, we get the train booked, which is great. So, planes booked, trains booked, passport, blah, 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 blah. Got it already. As I said, I'm going to document it. I've been kind of debating how I'm going to document it. I've actually, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you could see I've got a new GoPro right here. This is the new GoPro that you're looking at me on. I've got the old GoPro, too. I'm going to bring a couple GoPros, my Zoom recorder, uh, laptop, probably uh, a UA Twin, yeah, I'm gonna just go prepared because you just never know what's gonna happen. So yeah. So what can I say? Got to do it. Got to got to show up prepared. I think what I'm gonna do is I've been encouraged by several of my friends, Liz Shaw, Chris Salim, and a few other folks. They were encouraging me to just you know post daily on Facebook uh, with a little video thing. Don't worry about editing. Don't worry about cleaning it up. Just get it on there. Report back. So. I might just do that. This new GoPro seems like it's going to be the way to go, and uh, I'm excited about that. So, yeah, mix with the Masters. I will tell you all about it. Uh, I want to remind you, the Universal Audio Apollo Rack Dream Studio ends on September 30th. It's September 8th as I record this, and when you hear it, it's going to be September, September 11th. So... Get on it, my friends, because I don't expect them to extend this any longer. They've extended it a couple couple months now, so you can head over to uaudio.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and check that out. And while you're online, make sure and check out the uh, Audio Life subforum on gearsluts.com and, uh, yeah, have a look around. What else? What did I want to tell you? You know, I must emphasize to you all, if you're traveling by plane, you've got to check out Seat Guru, because... I was just kind of, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and I went to check all my seat seating for, uh, for the airline. Logged on, and you can pick your seat, of course. Not very many seats left on these flights, of course. Um, so you can pick your seat, and I discovered through Seat Guru that one of the legs of the flight, uh, I think it was one of the United States, France legs, did not have power on the seat. So I quickly, very quickly moved my seat, um, uh, choosing instead to sit between two people rather than having an aisle or a window seat with no power. I chose to sit between two other people just so I could make sure and have power. Cause you all know how important power is on a plane. So got to do it. Got to have it. So, um, that's it. Let's drink some water. Yeah, I know. Where's the coffee. Mm. Been drinking a lot of water lately. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a good, I think that's a good thing to do. No, I guess that's it. I don't have a lot to tell you on this episode here in the monologue. I just want to uh, share with you the uh, mix of the master stuff. And like I said, I will tell you all about that. And so uh, so let's move on. Yeah. So let's get down to it. Let's uh, talk to Rocky Gallo here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Well, welcome to the podcast, Rocky.
1: This is a trip, obviously. i I'm just surprised anybody wants to hear me ramble for an hour and a half. <laughs>
0: Uh, now, you know how I feel like every week yeah. I'm like, should I still keep doing this? People really want to hear yeah. this?
1: Yeah. I actually, I'm still, I got a half hour left on the last episode to really, to catch up on completely. But just like, instead of music going in or checking mixes, the new substitute has just been silence or podcast. Oh, wow. Because it, it just, just don't, I like lost headphones and it's just like, I don't even, don't even want to hear it anymore. No more, no more music.
0: No more music. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Well, uh, it's great to have you on. You've got really quite a quite a background. But before we get to that, as I typically do, let's talk about right now. Let's talk about Virtue and Vice. And mm. you're in Brooklyn, New York. Got a beautiful place. I was checking out the website. Oh, thanks, Ben. I'd like to go there. Oh, yeah. So tell me about that. Tell me about uh, why did you... Why did you do a studio? When did you do this? Why? That's a, that's the better question. Yeah. Why on earth would you you do this? Uh, I,
1: I only have been making these places in order to make the records and in order to keep working. uh, It seems kind of the new norm that you have to have a place in order to just simply work. There's no, I mean, I mean, with avatar just shutting down, it's like, where are these places that you're supposed to get a job to be an engineer? Mm-hmm. Another guy, uh, Mark Pilati, he he was in here one time. He was just like, if you don't have a spot, you're not working, which is a, a, a new reality, really. I'm coming from a place where I started with a, a staff position at a place and eventually, changing of times, I just decided I, I wanted to be on my own and then I was like the records I want to make have to be in these bigger rooms. So that's how I ended up getting to a place where I had to build a studio out. Because I wanted to, that's for sure. Right. Being a studio owner is probably the most annoying, worst thing in the
0: world. <laughs> well, I, I said let's start one. with now, but actually maybe we should give a little background because you were the chief engineer at the cutting room. Mm-hmm. And you worked with... Yeah, and I,
1: I actually, um, the, the place that uh, I'm in now, I built out with another employee from there so uh, four years ago.
0: Tell me me about the experience at the Cutting Room. How did you get in there? How did you get to that position?
1: That was uh, my second interview in New York. Uh, The first one was Manhattan Center Sound, and it was an alumni from my school. And within the first five minutes, he told me, I should get out of this business. This is a bad idea. Just go. Uh, That was kind of terrifying. And then uh, I met the guys at the Cutting Room, and started interning and little by little just kind of grew and interesting time because there was a lot of the guys that were there were getting tired and they didn't want to be doing it anymore or just just started kind of leaving and i uh just i mean really right time right right place right time and just just started getting these jobs that were way above what i should have been doing at the time hmm. and uh yeah it was just great great experience just didn't know exactly what was happening at the time. You know, I was like twenty-three or twenty-four and working on some of those major artists. And when I look back at it now, it's just like I don't think you really knew what of how unique of a situation that was.
0: You 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 appreciate it now in retrospect, probably more than you did at the moment, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it's just one of those things that you don't. You just think it, it's just all of a sudden the new norm. It's not that I don't work with great people anymore. It's just the level of you know celebrity status, almost like of people coming in on like a just day to day basis. It was just like this, it, you know, hilariously to like pointed it out. It was just like you'd be working on, the, I'd be doing like the John Legend record, and the studio phone would ring, and and studio manager would, can can you hang out later? Like John Bon Jovi is going to come in and cut a vocal, I'm like yeah, sure. We're, I mean, where else am I going to go? I have no life at that point, so. But it was just stuff like that all the time, and you're just like, "Oh, okay, this is normal." But miss it and don't miss it. You know, I like I like where
0: I'm at right now. How did you yes. handle yourself at the at that time? Like, you know, when somebody like John Bon Jovi walks in, and and you, or you're uh, I mean, hell, you're working with John Legend for that matter. I mean,
1: the funny thing with the John project was he wasn't John Legend the the man that he was at that point when he walked in the door the first day. It was the night of the Grammys, the first day that we worked it together, and then the second day he had just won four or five Grammys or something like that. So it was a different energy in the room the next day. but great guy, it was just surreal. You just kind of just you barely slept I remember that I mean at the time I was uh dealing with severe anxiety attacks, so that was an extra like hurdle to kind of get over mm-hmm. so it was uh it was that was probably the difficult. of it just the people were super cool and understanding but uh having to have that like looming over your shoulder all the time was uh just really difficult really difficult at the time
0: did i hear you correctly in saying that you essentially were fresh out of school
1: yeah that was my first job
0: (laughs) what school did you go to
1: uh down in orlando you know that one wholesale
0: never heard of it (laughs) yeah (laughs) of course
1: I Well, it was funny because the, the place I started at, they had some really bad experiences with people from there. So I was the first one that came in. Uh, for some reason, they were just not used to people like putting a nice shirt on and coming in and being like put together for an interview. So the guy was just like, oh, uh, you're different than all the other people that have come in here for this job. So let's give you a chance. And the guy that was the manager at the time, he was like this big brother of New York, I, I, this guy Patrick, he he was a the manager there at the time, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in New York. If, he made sure every gig that was going on, I I got in on, and like, it just he's the main reason for my career. I would imagine just acted as manager for me at one point, and just did way above and beyond anything that anybody would really need to have done at that point. Hmm. And yeah, as far as like a studio manager goes, he just really just opened all these doors for me though. Especially, I mean, all the good kids I got were because of him.
0: That's amazing. Prior to that, let's take me back to prior to Full sale. What compelled you to go to recording school? Where did the (sighs) desire to be a recording professional come from?
1: It all really started with, I was a little kid and just pouring through those record covers and like searching through everything. And you know, every word, every name on there. And this guy, Brendan O'Brien, Andy Wallace, producer, engineer, mixer, like whatever that is, at ten years old, I'm like that's that's what I want, mm-hmm. and it kind of led into buying that four track cassette recorder, always playing at my friend's uh, house, and he his father had an old reel to reel, and somehow my best friend's mother let us put a recording studio in their basement, <laughs> like full, like we did the glass up and everything. Oh my god! A, awful loud rock band, she, a saint, a saint. Wow but uh yeah so we just had all the stuff set up and we just we'd bring in all the local bands and record them it was like 94 95 or something like that but they all sound like crap you know <laughs> i i was terrible it's just hilarious so what were, were, you, were you recording to adats no it was uh one well, of those porta studios oh really 64 oh wow okay yeah yeah you know beg beg my mother over and over for one of those things and had to work that off but uh Yeah, I think we were trying to charge like five bucks an hour or something like that, or, you know, uh, 50 bucks a song.
0: (laughs) And overcharging for cassettes.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember having to go into Radio Shack and try to get those nice ones that were five bucks a piece. Oh, yeah.
0: Premium. uh, The high
1: high, uh, metal bias tapes or whatever it was. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just searching for change in order to get, you know, another another tape to record to.
0: When you got out of high school, was it straight to full sale or? was there a stop in between
1: uh yeah it was painting houses yeah in between that was my last job probably one of my only jobs oh. and uh and then yeah i went down there i think i was 20 and then right to new york and just kind of went from there it was where did you grow up um lower connecticut okay fairfield yeah Nice small town, not much of a music scene, but it is now. They've got these great venues there now, like right off the train. So that wasn't there growing up, which is the most frustrating part about it.
0: When you're at Full Sail, and I only speak from experience, anytime I've taught any kind of recording class, there's always two, maybe three men or women in the class that are like, you can already tell that they've got the eye of the tiger, that that they want it. And the rest yeah, of the class is just the rest don't care. They don't care. They're just killing yeah. time, spending someone else's money.
1: Uh, I think I ran into another full sale alumni from my class down in Nashville a couple of years ago, and he said after three years, the statistic is after three years, only one percent of graduates are still in the field. And we met up after seven years, so and we were the only two that we knew that were still actually active, hmm. working in the in in the music field. So. Uh, yeah, it was. It was definitely full with a lot of people that seemed like they were just kind of passing time, and I guess that's what the schools can kind of you know they weed people out. You see, just people just leaving month after month, like, oh, this isn't for me, and you know, it was it, it, it was pretty clear from the get go for me. So,
0: did you walk out of there with a lot of debt, a lot of school debt?
1: Uh, well, it's I know it's nearly more than doubled since I've. I've gone there. It was really not that expensive when I went there. Okay. I and mean, this was also 15, 16 years ago or something like that. Right. But yeah, I, I, I hear a lot of the time friends that are coming out of there with six figures in debt. Oh God. Which is in six figures in debt coming into a market where jobs are depleting and pay is getting worse. So just the, you feel heartbroken when you hear it. He's like, yeah, I got you know, $130,000 in debt. And my job I'm looking for is a, you know, studio intern.
0: Wow. I don't know how people do it. You could build two small studios and have them both fail for that amount of money. You can
1: have a lot of nice gear for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You could have a, uh, a lot more experience probably as well.
1: Well, I was thinking if I just never went and just plopped myself in New York for two years, where, where could I have been? Could I have, You know, this is chicken and the egg. Could I have gotten the job without it? Could I learned? I learned everything within months of being at the studio I started at. It wasn't necessarily from school. I think I grew up and was, you know, you know the the one good thing about it. They made you go to class at one in the morning, five in the morning, nine a.m. middle middle of the night kind of stuff, and it just prepped me to set three alarms or you know make sure you get up because if you don't you're not going to get the perfect attendance and you like this is what it kind of had had to take in order to show up and get get the good jobs mm-hmm. I you know I, like i realized i i, I did want to be in the bigger market in new york or nashville or la so these are not for people that kind of give it up you know
0: when you showed up to the to the cutting room and nice shirt you know kind of and I hate to say the term "dress for success." That sounds so cheeseball, but you you showed up, and they saw something different in you. Where does that come from in your background that you knew you had to do that to get in the door?
1: Probably ingrained from parents. Just you seeing them. I I would say my watching my mom as a single parent, actively going to c- school and preparing for classes and you know, practicing speeches in the mirror and like getting, you know, getting ready and making sure she's ready to go off and do whatever she was doing. And it was pretty, it was, you know, pretty clear is like coming from a hardworking family that you don't know, just roll up to a job and, you know, soft handshake and, you know, you stand up straight and look him in the eye. And, you know, it was very, very big hard work gets you where you want to go. And it's not going to just be handed to you ever. No, not, I mean, nothing at that until that point ever was. And, Nothing has been since then, so you know, it just really getting in the door was the most important thing, and was it because of everything in the past, or luck? You know, that's you ask yourself a lot of that sometimes, but um, it just really came down to endlessly working and always saying yes hmm. and being ready to, you know, hey, can I get a cup of coffee? Running there for it, rather than just leisurely walking it's kind of what i figured was the only way to stick out and get ahead um but yeah i mean as you know there's just everyone trying to get these jobs and there's no one offering them so and it's i mean, it was a different time you know 15 years ago it was there wasn't actually i want to say thriving business going on back then but there was there was way more going on definitely in manhattan
0: right well when you were at the cutting room, if there's a valuable lesson that you learned there that still sticks with you or an event that took place, what do you think that is? Sleep when you can. <laughs> sleep when uh, you're dead.
1: Uh yeah, you just kind of always had to be ready and he, he, yeah, sleep was short in supply back then. It was uh yeah, average was 120 hours a week. Wow. Yeah, it it coming on intern budget, it was like three dollars a day at wendy's or something like that off the dollar menu and i, I they would actually kick me out of the studio and be like you've been here four days straight you have to go home you have to leave for eight hours and then you're allowed to come back that was a pretty normal thing usually like hey why don't you sit this one out you're i get it you're eager but go home and uh shower sleep then you can come back okay um, that's kind of what it took and and there was no one else willing to do anything like that and you just started to become you're the only guy around and well this is broken or just knowing the ssl back and forth don't use this channel this compressor is a little fuzzy uh don't use that go to this EQ instead you just you just knew every crack and crevice of the place and everybody that walked in there that was above you or an engineer wanted you on the session because you're gonna make sure it gets to beginning to end without a problem,
0: yeah. When uh, you were doing that gig and the money wasn't too great, I assume. How did you survive? I mean, were you depend- non existent? Yeah,
1: nearly non existent at that point, you know, for six months.
0: How do you do that? I mean, do, do, uh, do you have to depend on support from, from family or do you, you know, have a side gig, a side hustle? I did not
1: have that luxury of fam- family support, I had a bunch of money saved up from painting. And at eventually at some point it just hit the wall. And I was like, well, I'm going to, well, I even told the manager, I'm like, hey, so I'm going to need some time off. I got to go get a job at McDonald's. They're like, listen, you're not getting a job at McDonald's. We'll set you up and got the job at Guitar Center. And that was probably worse than McDonald's, to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> I got fired from Guitar <laughs> but, Center.
1: Well, I nearly did too, but I was there two months. So I would, you know, I would do my, I would do like a 12 hour shift at the studio. Or it would go all the way through the night, you know, like 6 p.m. to 7.30 in the morning. They still wouldn't be done. And then I would have to go to Guitar Center and try to sell speakers or something, whatever it was back then. And that's how that happened. And just very lucky and ended up getting started to get paid as an assistant at that point. So, you know, if that two month gap didn't have that job, I I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what I would have done if I would have still been in New York to be honest with
0: you. What caused you to leave the cutting room? Yeah, The
1: facility ended up moving into a, a smaller location. So making the records I really wanted to make, which the big room sounds, getting the band in there, just didn't seem like it was going to start to be possible. And it's in Manhattan. It had a very expensive day rate mm-hmm. at, at the time. You know, this was eight years ago or something like that at the time. So, you know, to expect a band to pay over $1,000 a day was, you know, not not going to happen. So, and that, and after seven, eight years, it was just time to move out, go on my own. And I started a smaller room, a little production room, and kind of grew that up. And at that time, that transition time, I was going back and forth to Nashville, at least like 10, 10 20 days a month down there for about six to nine months. And uh, that, I mean, that afforded the... The ability to go out freelance, open up my own place, and uh, I bought the the Neve that I have in here because of that. It was it was just a lot of work because I come back to New York and then I have another, say, 10 days left in New York and I would be able to book up that time completely while I was here. So I'd be working constantly for, it was, it was just about a year. It was kind of like that. So hmm. that really, that was a transition point at that point. At that moment, to allow me to just completely just say goodbye to the cutting room and move on to the next current the the old location I was at up in Greenpoint, and then, just after being there for three years, I just I was like, "You know, I've got this board, and this board's meant to track bands, and I want to track bands again i'm I'm going to other places to record and then finishing it off there. It was super economical, it was perfect and worked out well, and I was able to save up all the gear and finances in order to make a new spot and eventually uh tom gardner is the guy that i built the place out with this we have like this complex where he runs his studio out of it and it's shared to the live room and i run mine out and then we have a production room and it's they all have tie lines into it so we're kind of sharing the live room all all the time he was leaving uh, the cutting room at the time that i wanted to build this place and we both put it everything that we had together and just built the place out. And it's been, it's been really rocking.
0: What were the challenges that you faced when you were building it out? Uh, drywall. God, tell drywall me prices it. have
1: doubled since the last time I, I had bought them. You know, it, it was from what I remembered, it was like four or $5 a sheet. And now it, it was over 10. Oh my God. And when you're, when you're doing, I mean, those were the, we call them $7,000 days. And there were way too many of those. And he was like, uh contractor be like we need another 350 sheets of drywall and you do that every couple days you you know three four sheets of drywall on each layer of door or every every wall twice so that was a big one not having um any real money coming in because i wasn't able to do eight to ten hours of construction and then you know even the next day go mix a record because i was just you just physically just drained Mm -hmm. and just coordinating all getting the deliveries, sourcing the parts, just getting the, you know, just doing the work ourselves and along with the contractors, it was, it was a good two, three months of like, I don't know this is going to happen and bank accounts going down to the, every first of the month, like to that hundred dollar mark. And then, yeah, it it was, that's, that's what it was for about a year of, uh, the build and getting the place together and just like terrifying debt beyond all belief.
0: This was like how many years ago?
1: Um, so it's gonna be f- it's gonna be four years in uh, October. Okay, next month. Did four you four or five years? Were you know five years?
0: Five year. Okay. Were you yeah. ever tempted to crowdsource or crowdfund? Because I see mm. some people. You know, I've seen it yeah. done.
1: I uh I, I it's always there in the back of your mind. You're like, wow, this could really happen. But uh, I was uh just unfortunately I'm really comfortable with going into credit card debt and it's, I use it as this uh motivator and I fucking hate that. So to have that huge number sitting there, it's like, all right, cool. We have to chip away at this. And it's, it's the devil biting you in the ass kind of a thing It's like, you have to make this happen, have to make this happen. There's no other way, really. There's no other job I can do. So I not really, terrified in being so far in debt that i have to get myself out doing this is just going to be the thing i want to do there's no other option so it's not taking this huge risk in uh, a career that i'm not already doing in my mind
0: rocky gallo here on the working class audio podcast want to tell you about uh of course I, on this trip that i keep talking about the mix with the master's trip I did mention that I'm going to pick up some Audio-Technica headphones, uh, some noise-canceling headphones, because believe me, I have these, I have my other in-ear headphones. So I'm going to give these a shot. These are the Audio-Technica ATH-ANC23 QuietPoint Active Noise Cancelling In-Ear Headphones. How about that? Say that three times fast. Uh, I'm buying it with this blue coil earphone case that has a six-foot extender and a couple AAA batteries. Yeah. I'm going to give it a shot. And, you know, just a reminder, I don't know if y'all know about this and uh, was brought to my attention. If you go to smile.amazon.com, you can designate a certain amount of money uh, from your purchase. Well, you don't, you don't get to choose how much money, of course, but Amazon does, but they take a portion of your purchase and they uh, give it to uh, a charity of your choosing from a designated list. And you can search up certain things, you know, and it can be, you know, a local school for your kids, uh, or it can be, um, you know, a typical charity like the Red Cross or something like that. So uh, check that out. That's smile.amazon.com. Uh, I'll let you know how these how these work. The ATH ANC 23 Quiet Point Active Noise Canceling In-Ear Headphones from Audio Technica. You can check them out at audio-technica.com. Head over to the headphones section and they'll be there. So that's it. All right. Well, let's get back into it with Rocky Gallo here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. So you came up with this plan of a certain size studio. It was going to cost X amount of dollars with, you know, everything that needed to go into it. Did you ever consider going smaller or, you know, doing a different plan?
1: I don't know if I did actually. Uh, We found the place after going through about 70 spots. Okay. And then after, you know, just about signing with one or like, just about to sign on the line, like the deal changed the last second, so that fell through. And then, kind of the wind was kind of sucked out of the sails, and just like I don't know if this is going to really happen. And I found a spot on Craigslist and came down, met the guy, and then this was the spot. And now we had to figure out how to put a studio in this spot. So it was how to maximize the space, how to get the most out of this for what we want to do for the for me and Tom. To be able to operate our studios out of it so to do it any cheaper i don't know if we would be able to i know we could have spent more i don't know if we could have spent any less
0: it's always easy to spend more isn't it
1: yeah we purposely did it so certain things weren't done all at once you know some treatment wasn't done in the live room or you know didn't drop the ceiling in the hallway there's just it was an unfinished place for about the first year and And that's, you know, ran rates super low in order to get people in the door and just be like, yo, come check this place out. Just come here. Just doing super low day rates. And I just kind of kept raising it up every month just to get kind of get people in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think my first session here was three months into the build. I don't even know if I had a door on the live room the first session. And I told them, like, I don't I don't know if this is even going to work. You guys are guinea pigs. If it does, it's only 200 bucks a day. And it worked perfectly. It sounded great and just started to finish the things off, got the doors up, did all the treatment, just little things like that, door trim, all everywhere. It was just like, you just knew it was like, this is a construction site. And uh, if, if I could have done it a different way, I would have. But I don't think there was any way we could have gotten away with it without doing the way we did.
0: How does it work? or how did it work for you with regards to dealing with you know Brooklyn in terms of building were there any challenges there permits inspectors any of that crap oh,
1: I mean anything that you can think of that is bad with that kind of stuff it's it's true it's a nightmare and you're first of all just terrified about is this space going to be something that I can have for 10 years and even build it That's, that was my biggest concern is dropping this kind of money. And once again, anybody else is dropping any, I mean, this is not a super expensive place, but it's not, you know, $10,000 build. It's, you know, it was, it was significant, but what if that person that you're renting from is all of a sudden kicking you out and any kind of money is not, it's not coming with you. It's drywall. It's two by fours. When it's there, it's gone. Yeah. It's just, oh, you know, waste. So that was my biggest concern looking at a place was making sure that you would actually be here because we just kept constantly hearing all these studios getting kicked out from their landlords. Or it's just a a typical New York thing right now, especially with Brooklyn with real estate just shooting up so much that they want, they want people out. They want the most money possible. So this warehouse that we're in is hopefully going to be here another. 10, 15 years. I don't have to ever do this again because I don't know if I could do I don't know if I could do that whole thing at forty two, to be honest.
0: I, oh I totally hear what you're saying.
1: Without paying without paying somebody to do every little bit of it. I oh yeah. I just don't know if I could do it again.
0: I'm trying to remember when Hurricane Sandy was. I don't know what I don't know what year it was, but Okay, it didn't affect you.
1: No, I was up in Greenpoint, my old spot, and it was on the third floor, okay. luckily. But I mean, I know, I know a lot of guys in New York, we just built a beautiful place and it just got completely washed out. So that's, yeah, that's, these are all the things you start to worry about, especially with, after that, that wasn't in anybody's mind in New York.
0: Oh, of course not.
1: You know, so you, you always are trying to think of, unfortunately, with these sorts of things with studio builds, what is the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Looking at the spot, what could possibly go wrong? How, how could I get in trouble in this spot? Or Because you don't really have the chance to just, oh, let's just do it again. It would take me another few years to get up the kind of money it would take to do this whole thing again.
0: It takes a, a lot of motivation to try to do this. And it takes a certain yeah, amount stub, of... stubbornness. Stubbornness, and, yeah. Once
1: again, when you don't have an option. I, I could have stayed in that other room, probably, and z- z- chose a small production room to stay there, but... It, I just had the feeling if I wanted to build a name or career tracking bands, it, it was just really hard to sell somebody on, hey, I am a great engineer, trust me, listen to this stuff and let's go to this other studio and we'll record it there and then you'll come back to mine and we'll we'll finish it off and it'll be much cheaper. And it, it's kind of proved true having the place I can walk people in and you know, like, oh, this is, this is great. How much of you day? Oh, awesome. Great. Let's just do it. And there's no, hey, can I don't, I don't I don't get that much anymore. It's like, hey, can you play me something like my music that I can judge you on? Uh I don't know if it's just from being established enough or the space does enough justice in their minds that they're like, oh no, this place is gonna be fine. But that was a big big hurdle back then. He's like, I I can do this, but I don't have anything. I don't have a heavy rap rock record to show you that I've completed that you want me to work on now. You know, whatever it was, it was it was really tough at times to try to convince someone that you could do the job.
0: And do you think because of the studio, they walk in and they they it's a psychological hit over the uh, head.
1: It de- it definitely doesn't it doesn't hurt. I think they just need. Sometimes people just want the job done, and then sometimes people are shopping around for the guy that they want to work with right i'm still i guess working on that and trying to build a career big enough that they're like oh you got to go he does this sort sort of thing or i don't i don't know if i'm necessarily there okay trying to get as established and as possible you just i guess have to keep working
0: well so let's talk about what's going on now i mean we've, we've been talking about like you know the challenges and the fears and the anxiety and the the money spent but
1: w- are There's still challenges, fear and anxiety. <laughs> I think that's. <laughs> I, don't I don't think, think that's changed. ever going away. But
0: <laughs> well, so where's it at today? I mean, where you know, financially, have you chipped away at the 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 debt, the money spent, and are yeah. you bringing yeah? Yeah, no, in? I
1: I I, you know, it's an amazing thing. As soon as you I built it, it just really took care of itself really quick. Within the first year, I was surprised how well it was going. I always I was saying the. First half of the year it was like it was a bad year to have a bad year because it I I felt I was really slow or I was just really aware of how in in a hole I was. But that year turned out to be by far my best year in New York. Mm-hmm. So and then it's grown pretty well since since the beginning. So I've I've gotten comfortable and I've gotten to the point where I'm trying to make myself uncomfortable and just bought a. An 80 series board Mm -hmm. so i'm now back to being very uncomfortable and very in debt and (laughs) terrified and anxious this is actually the first first night in a very long time that i woke up in a panic just like oh my god how am i gonna how am i gonna do this Mm -hmm. how am i gonna get the money in order to make this happen
0: are you uh are are you married do you you know do you have a relationship is
1: no that's another thing i you know i've got i'm that's everyone always is like, how do you do all this stuff? It's like I don't have a kid, I don't have a wife. So the only only thing that's it's me that I could disappoint or you know, if I really mess up, it's just uh you know, there's no one to seriously let down. Mm-hmm. I have no real uh obligations to anyone. That has been the main reason for stupid huge purchases that I don't I don't consult anybody else about so
0: well i mean it's only you and i think that's a great that can be a great position to be in and you can you can yeah, for it i mean it. there's
1: grass is always greener right it's cool to have the freedom but you know that's another part of life that a lot of people choose obviously i mean you know, wife and kids right yeah yeah so i hey, i don't i don't think you would Trade them for a Neve console.
0: No, I would not. Yeah. I definitely would not. They're cool, but
1: Neve consoles don't love you back. They just fall <laughs> apart and need a lot of tech time.
0: <laughs> They're very needy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are your routines? Do you have any routines? Uh,
1: a, a lot of coffee, uh, a lot of beer. Uh, I, am, I am out probably six nights of the week, and I was just actually talking with Tom. That's a part of how I network, get out and also decompress. I don't, I don't like to go home and sit on the couch. I usually like to kind of be out and and that's how I've met a lot of the bands that I'm currently working with. Actually, mm. it's just being out in Brooklyn, not being like, Oh, Hey, you're in a band. Uh, I got a recording studio. Here's my card. Just like, Oh, that's yeah. This is Rocky on studio. Oh, yeah, You know, it just kind of, it's, a lot, uh, and more than I would, uh, I'd be really surprised when I started actually going through, it's like, oh yeah, I met them through that person. Not like a bar fly or anything like that, but you know, at the end of the session, I don't want to go home, watch Netflix and just, I just need to have a drink or two and kind of calm down. But no, I've heard on the upper, other episodes, there's no meditation or daily habits. It's just I get up, have a coffee, come into work. After eleven hours, I go have a drink, go home, pass <laughs> out, and just do it all it's over. It's a big again. cycle. There's here. really, I would like to say that I had like some like magic routine that I like. I've got it all figured out, but it's just, it's just a whatever happens happens.
0: Yeah. So you're in Brooklyn, the Studio G Joel Hamilton's place is in Brooklyn, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. They've got uh, he's he's got a uh, uh, another need just like mine.
0: Okay. So you guys a- built up around the same time, if I'm correct, right?
1: No, no. Joel was definitely established much before me.
0: But I mean, Virtue and Vice and, st- and the current incarnation of Studio G. I think the new
1: ones, Studio G 5000 was open maybe two years before. Okay. I put this place together, which I actually, when I almost opened the spot in Greenpoint, my other one, I looked at that location and it was it was. Bound to be a studio. It was perfect. I'm glad they found it because, I mean, huge, 5,000 square feet. Uh, but at the time, I just had, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can, I got, I didn't have any gear yet. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get this 5,000 square foot place and I'll put a console in here. And uh. didn't really like after building this place, just like, there's no way how much, how well they did that spot and uh, how big it is. I just, I couldn't even imagine doing it myself now. And then you know, just the gear alone to put in it was a whole nother hurdle.
0: For, yeah.
1: For this spot. So I mean yeah, we I mean this and then uh, I think uh G and the bunker up here kind of were opening up around the same time mm-hmm. when they were when they were getting going. The bunker just they moved to a new location and they opened up a spot in Williamsburg too okay great spot great spot
0: as far as gear and uh, your gear lust and how you balance this with the studio and the needs of the studio versus your bank account what's what's (laughs) what's your angle well uh
1: well I uh I usually you know last year I actually got pretty killed with taxes because I think the gear lusting had just kind of worn off I just like I was looking around like I you know, when you ever go to open a B-Bay, just start typing in that, like, oh, I, I want, I need a, need an LA-2A, need an LA-2A, oh, I need a 1176. And I just kept doing that, but just kept looking around, like, I don't, I don't need, there's nothing else that I'm, like, looking for. So after that, all the itches got scratched, it was just like, oh, well, I'm just kind of hold on to this, and I'll just be comfortable and not have to worry about money. But for the most part, it was, you know... Get paid five grand, spend 4999 on <laughs> gear. <laughs> you know, after you pay rent, it's just <sighs> like, yeah, just put it every, every penny would go back into it. And just all, all the time, just nonstop upgrading and doing whatever we can in order to make the spot better. I mean, we're, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a, a disease almost around, a, around a period. It's like everyone is competing with gear, but I think I just kind of, At some point, it just doesn't fucking matter. I would agree. It's like, this is what I've got. And I mean, I I also just bought a fucking 80 series console. I understand that that's kind of hypocritical, but I just want to have that in a few boxes. And I'm just like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't, I just can't seem to really get into it anymore as much where I just used to would want all these racks and racks and racks of stuff. Just like, you know, I'm just going to the same boxes every single time. Like, why do I need another 20?
0: It's funny how it gets to that point
1: for simplicity. You know, like I just want the, the LA 2 a, or like this bus compressor. There's just some times I'm just not even turning it on either. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm just going to, you know, some of the stuff lately that I've been doing that I've been liking the most I'll get in and I'll just be really tired and I just get lazy. And I'm just like, I'm just going to plug stuff in directly from the board into pro tools. No compression. And that's the stuff that sounded the best, but it's probably the band. The songs were better. The band was better and it had nothing to do. It had nothing to do with the gear. I've had nights early on with the space. It was a Friday night and a Saturday, same kit, same mics, same pre's. Everything was the same. Two days. Best drum sounds of my life. Friday night, Saturday, the worst. Unrepairable. And it's just the drummer Yeah, has nothing, you know, just, that's the, uh, the sobering experience. just like, there's really nothing I'm, it almost feels like there's nothing I can do here. I know I'm supposed to have all the answers, but it's just almost predetermined. And these are the guys that are really in control.
0: What are some of the lessons you've learned from being a studio owner that you could, if, if you were asked to go in front of a classroom of recording students, uh, what would well, you I tell them? I,
1: I did. NYU. I said, don't do it. <laughs>
0: Somebody or, uh, told you the what same you wish thing. For.
1: They were the exact <laughs> words. Uh, and as the teacher's looking over at me, like, "What the fuck are you doing? You're making my job <laughs> harder, dude." Uh, I think I think the general rule of thumb is, is growing up, just be nice to everybody. Hmm. Take care of everybody. Right the wrongs when you see them. Kind of come across you. You you get that a lot in the music industry where you know the oh so and so fucked us over. Like we did all these mixes and now we've got nothing. Like. We're so in debt. Can you help us out? I'm not saying necessarily give studio time away for free, but when something comes along and you're passionate about it and you can do something and make something uh, positive from negativity, it only makes sense to do it. If it's not going to really put you out, then why not? Mm -hmm. Because it comes back around every single time. It comes off as caring and genuinely wanting to make a better product rather than fuck you, this is about money, which it has to be about money because there's real rent and real expenses and insurance. And
0: What's the worst business decision you've made oh, as a recording professional?
1: That's another, that's another podcast. Either partnering up with the wrong person. I actually, you know what, I don't think I could really answer. I mean, I firm believer in just saying yes and okay and going into it and then finding out it was a mistake and then using that as the okay great I shouldn't do that or you can always learn a lesson from a from a fuck up so I am usually quick to just say okay cool pull the trigger just go for it and logically thinking about it along the way but I don't I just don't believe there's enough time to just you know, really assess something, and it's just like, yeah, you know, just go for it. And it doesn't work out, you just take a step back and correct yourself, and then you'll never do it again. Okay, uh, but uh, well, one thing: hiring the wrong AC guy—that that was a bad
0: one. Okay, mm.
1: actually, uh, John, John over at the bunker, the owner of the bunker over there, he gave me a recommendation for an AC guy. I'm like, okay, cool. The guy comes in. Had all the stuff, bought it myself for some reason. And quote was, or oh, like five grand to install it. I'm like, well, what the fuck? How long is this going to take you? He's like, oh, I'll get it done in a day. Five grand a day. I'm like, guys in my world aren't getting that. Why is an AC going to cost $5,000 to install? It's really just connecting hoses almost, in my mind. So I found some idiots to do it, and they fucked it up. And I've spent way more than $5,000 to get it repaired over and over again. So you know what? Uh, that w- that was a big one. I mean it's something I'm, I as my AC is dripping into a bucket over here. That's that's my Saturday tomorrow actually, unclogging the the drain line somehow, f- find the reason why it's, you know, dripping, but it, it's a classic uh you get what you pay for. And you always try to tell your clients that you're like, yeah, I mean, go to the guy that's uh charging 20 bucks a mix. It's not going to be what I do. You what you pay for. And it's the first time I broke my own rule and I've paid for it. Yeah. More, more than triple. I made that in, mistake uh,
0: with drywall.
1: In your old spot?
0: Yeah. In my old spot, I uh, I hired this guy, nice guy, but God damn, it was the worst drywall job I've ever seen. Awful. Yeah, it was true. Yeah, it's because it's
1: really noticeable. It is. When it's bad. Yeah. That was something I actually learned why we spent so much time sanding and making the, the wall is nice. We're like, we just covered them all up with insulation or treatment. Like, you know, it really could—it couldn't have been that bad. You just, if it's, if it's awful, you just put a put a panel right in front of the awful drywall scene that he did. There's ways around it, right?
0: What's the best business decision that you've made?
1: Uh, definitely going out on my own, and I think buying this this Neve, which was an impulse buy that I'm glad I I did do, and definitely making the studio and going it going in with Tom. His place is called uh Rift Studios and without him and uh our tenant Ben Tommy, I would uh I it would not be the same experience. I, I, I lean on those guys probably more than anybody because um, you know, if I try to go out of town or something like that, some outside guy's gonna come in and use my room or uh they like they can't figure something out, they're next door. It's the the guy that's at the water cooler. That you can just be like, dude, this fucking client is f- killing me. They're the guy, they're the, there's a psychologist talking you down and you do the same thing for them. That, that was the, the ultimate goal is to have people back around in the studio where the old spot was just like 12 hours a day and you're alone. And, uh, it just, yeah, end of the day, you're just like, God, I just really need to be around people where now here it's, uh, you know, they're, they're out there and you can just, pop out and you just talk for a little bit and hang out. We all get lunch and just like our little community and, you know, we just lean on each other. It's, it's pretty cool. That's, that's the best thing I think I've ever done. I like into business with those guys.
0: Huh? Well, very cool, man. Uh, I think we're, I think we're done. And I, and I just want to thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Thank you,
1: Matt. I just seriously huge fan. That's why it just blows my mind so much.
0: What can I say, man? Thank you no this i just can't believe i'm part of it <laughs> you're a part of it now sick there goes the neighborhood all right man we'll talk it a bit okay see ya rocky gallo here on the working class audio podcast great to have rocky on and and uh great to have you all back to listen appreciate it week after week we just keep going episode after episode so let's keep it up let's keep doing it so uh anything else to tell you no that's it next time I report to you, I will be on the road in France. So, uh, there it is. So, uh, let's, uh, let's of course thank everybody before we get out of here. Let's thank Cliff Truesdale, Chuck Smith, and Cole Williams, and thank our sponsors, gearslets.com, Audio Technica, Universal Audio, Focal Monitors, and Allotan Audio. And, uh, once again, a sincere thank you to you all. I appreciate the time you take to listen to me. Take care.